Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is book club day. For this episode, we welcome back Lisa Lucas, who is a senior vice president and publisher at Pantheon and Shockin' Books. She and I dig into The Trees by Percival Everett, which is a suspenseful thriller that opens with a string of unsolved killings in Money, Mississippi. This is a fast-paced, puzzling murder mystery of a novel with so much humor and so much searing critique of American culture. It takes on police brutality, racism, and of course, the horrible legacy of lynching. In today's conversation, there are spoilers. Make sure to listen through to the end of the show to hear what our October book club pick will be. Quick reminder, everything Lisa and I discuss on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love the show and you want more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. The stacks is an indie podcast, which means I rely on listeners like you to make the show possible week in and week out. By joining the stacks pack, you affirm my mission to uplift great books, often by folks who are underestimated in the publishing world. You also get to earn perks like our monthly virtual book club, bonus episodes. This month's episode is with Cree Miles and access to our Discord channel. If you'd like to be a part of this wonderful bookish community, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join. Thank you to our newest members, Elizabeth Moda, Kate Prince, CG, Tracy Harris, and Kate Mannion. Thank you all so much. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you to the Stacks Pack. And now it's time for my spoiler-filled conversation with Lisa Lucas about The Trees by Percival Everett. All right, everybody. I am very excited today to talk about a novel, believe it or not. Uh, It's the book club day. We're back with Lisa Lucas. Lisa, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that we're talking about Percival Everett's The Trees. Um, Before I even ask you what you thought of the book, my toxic trait is I always forget to explain what the book is about before the book club episode. So I'm going to do a quick, trying to remember to do this every episode. Okay. The Trees. It is a thriller, a literary thriller, murder mystery satire about um, some lynchings in Money, Mississippi that are maybe connected to history that start to take over the country. And it's about the people involved and the people trying to figure out what's going on. And it's so fucking good. And the last thing that I'll say before I ask you what you thought of the book is we 
will be spoiling this book. So if you haven't read it yet, this is your own problem now. This is not our problem. You can pause it and come back and listen, or you can just be spoiled and read it later. Okay, Lisa, what do you think generally of the trees? Okay, so before I even talk about the trees, I want to talk about Percival, who's just been one of 30 books, over 30 books, (laughs) a whole career, and just nails it to some degree, every single time. And I just think that this book, which is taking off and there's all these nominations for awards and people are so excited about it. And it makes tons of sense because we're in this like peculiar (laughs) yet again, Mm -hmm. racial moment in this nation. I mean, it's never stopped being peculiar really, but it's especially peculiar at this particular moment. Um, And the politics are so insane. And I think that we're talking a lot about Mm -hmm. what history was and what the consequences Mm -hmm. of history are. And that can be really, 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 really overwhelming, right? Like, it's like we have a lot in front of us. And I think even for people who are politically active and very progressive, you know, that are like, we want more rights, we want more justice, we want labor unions, we want, you know, autonomy physically, emotionally, economically, right? We want the right to be ourselves. But it's still overwhelming to sort of think about all the injustice being done every day, which is why I think that Percival's brand of incredible black satire, which is something that's adjacent to like whole history of how we tell the story of how fucked up this country is. It's such a perfect, perfect book for right now. And, And I think the thing that makes it so perfect is that it's a political book and it has a very clear point of view, but it's hilarious. And it's, it's almost loving yeah. And it's sort of like send up of just American bullshit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just, I thought it was like, I could, you know, you can't put it down. It doesn't feel like a novel in the sense that you're just like, it feels like you've been sucked in yeah. and then shot out on the other side. Yeah. And there's just sentences, you know, it's yeah. like on the sort of top line, right? Like the political overarching narrative, it hits, it nails it. On the sort of like technical side, just the craft of it, the skill of it, the something that feels easy, that's so technically difficult, nails it, you know, and then just that humor, like, and and that real understanding of sort of just like America, It, it, it cartoons everyone. Yeah. But everybody is actually just a cartoon here. Right. Like, right. It cartoons everyone, like, which is what's important. Cartoons. We are yeah. cartoons. Like America has become a cartoon. And I think this book really sums up just how ridiculous. Totally. This is. Totally. Okay. So for me, I went into this book a little skeptical as I always do of any book that's like very buzzy in the moment and any book that's a novel because I just generally am like, ugh. And I usually think that I'm too stupid to read satire. So like there was a lot of things going into this book where I was like, oh my God, this is going to be really hard on me. The first chapter is maybe the most perfect example of like character development, setting, humor, history. Like that first chapter, I finished it and I just wrote down, holy shit, first chapter. Like it's so perfect. And I knew from that exact moment, I was like, I'm in good hands. I have no clue where we're going, but like, I feel safe as a reader. And I also feel on edge as a reader, which is the best feeling of like knowing you're in the hands of a master, but also being like, this guy's going to fuck me up. Like I yeah. just, I already know. So well, I, I mean, loved it from jump. line. Yeah. The first, yeah. the first line is money Mississippi looks exactly like it sounds. And if you've been paying attention, you know exactly what money Mississippi is. Yep. And you know yep. exactly where you're located. And and it's a master class in show, don't tell. 
Yeah, it so is. And then from there, I mean, I was laughing so hard for real and not just like the little like chuckle like, oh, hmm, that was clever. But like I genuinely was like tickled on the inside at parts and like and also revolted. Like it's just such an evocative novel and I mean that in the sense that like it really evoked emotion out of me and like feelings and I squirmed and I would giggle and I would be like wait what is he trying to say with that or like oh my god I'm in trouble I'm being implicated (laughs) and like I just the point being I think it's worthy of all of the excitement and buzz around it and I'm in LA as you know and a friend of mine is friends with Dancy Senna who is Percival's wife and I guess they were out to dinner last week and she was like I'm running late because apparently my husband has become a celebrity overnight <laughs> which is just so funny to think about as a person who's written 30 plus books you know like yeah, no. oh now he's a celebrity well, that's the interesting story though and I I'm like full disclosure I'm quite good friends with Dancy as well and I don't know Percival terribly well but I think that is actually a really material point of just his career. And Mm. I know we're talking about the book itself. Sure. This is a person who's written 30 books, Erasure. You know, I mean, I'm just going to look through the, the, just think of the books that I've loved. Erasure, Percival Everett by Virgil Russell. I am not Sidney Poitier. um, Telephone. Yes. I mean, it's just, all of these are extraordinary. And the idea that somebody as talented as Percival wasn't famous. You know, I went mm-hmm. to France one year and somebody was like, oh, do you know Percival Everett? He is our favorite mm-hmm. American writer. And I was like, oh, my God. And so Percival Everett is wildly popular in France, but very difficult here, you know? Yeah. Um, and not sort of in any way like underloved or whatever, but like, but no, you know, for for someone as truly talented as Percival is, right. it's, it's telling that this moment in time is where we see the accolades coming. And yeah. so, yeah, it must be surprising for Dan B. 30 books, <laughs> book, book, book. We knew he was talented, but why wasn't right. everybody paying attention? Why weren't the right. awards paying attention? Yeah. And, and I think that it's really good to see that there's space in the sort of like awards industrial complex or the literary industrial complex to make room for Percival as one of our great writers. Yeah. And I'm glad yeah. that this book is the one that, you know, that, that yeah. Popped. I mean, I I haven't read a ton of his other stuff, but I do think that like something about this book, you know, I'm especially getting to see people. Usually on the show, we record the book club episode when we recorded our first episode, but we're Mm -hmm. recording this a few weeks later. So I'm getting to watch as the people who are reading along with us are having reactions to this book Mm -hmm. and like seeing what a broad spectrum of people like the book. And I that always is a big moment for me is I'm like, well, why do you like this book? Like, mm-hmm. I know why I like this book as a black woman, as a mixed race woman of descendant of Southerners. Like, I know what's working for me. I'm curious what's working for you, Canadian white lady, or like, mm-hmm. I'm curious what's working for you. And and so that's been interesting, too. But I think that there's definitely like you're getting at something about this book and this moment in time in America, at least, but also the world that it's the right book at the right time told in the right way. Yeah. Like that a, that a really sincere book that dealt with lynching maybe wouldn't work right now, but the satirical part of it I feel like is what people are like it's it's disarming in a sense. Yeah. And maybe it's a companion piece, right? Like we yeah. are reading a lot about lynchings. There's a line where one of the characters says like, you know, I've been tracking all of the lynchings in the county or lynchings, you know, everywhere and I count police killings too. Yeah. Right. And so we're we're watching actually mm-hmm. on the news 
this, you know, the story of the lynchings. We are seeing this live. This has been, you know, everybody knows who Emmett Till is. Right. Everybody knows the story of the open casket. I mean, hopefully everybody knows. Yeah. But they, this is a companion piece to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what fiction does. It it actually creates depth and nuance in our understanding of sort of what we read. And I think, you know, you, you were mentioning, what does a Canadian lady care about this? White Canadian lady, right? Well, this is a particularly American book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're, you know, I can't imagine why you wouldn't be interested in the trees if you weren't interested in reading about America, particularly from elsewhere. They're not an enormous number of sort of honest depictions of the American South or yeah. of you know race in America in literature. I think we are increasing. We're doing really well with more of those mm. books. But, you know, mm. but it's proportional to the the impact that race has on the U.S. We certainly don't have explorations of the sort of multifaceted racial situation yeah. that we live in, you know, to scale. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask you. So you're reading the book. What are you thinking in real time on your first read is happening. Like, do you, because like when I read a thrillery type book, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the ending. This is what's going on. At mm-hmm. what point did you feel like you knew where he was going or did you ever feel like you figured it out? Or like, what did you think was going I on with the like bodies? I feel like I always kind of thought I knew where he was going. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, this book didn't feel to me like the point. Of course you want a satisfying yeah. conclusion, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I have to say that I didn't really give a shit where he mm. was going. You know, so you didn't care who was behind it. No, I mean, I did and I didn't. But the journey was the joy. Yeah, sure. I agree. Well, but I was like, what's going on? I was like, yeah, first no, I totally, thought it was I the coroner. The confusion. Yes. yes, yes. At first I was like, the coroner's secretly going to be a good white person. And then I was like, okay, he's the Grand Kleagle. Okay, that was a wrong guess. And then I was like, oh, I thought it was maybe the sheriff, Red Jetty, and he had his own revelation, but I thought maybe he was involved. And then eventually I was like, oh, maybe we're never going to find out. Like maybe he's never going to tell us. And that's like the point is that we don't you don't ever get a satisfying answer in these situations. And then we found out that it was Mama Z and Gertrude slash Dixie. And that was like, I think maybe the obvious answer all along. But I sort of like was thinking he was going to do something like I was like, maybe it's aliens. Like I was like coming up with all these different ideas. But I do think that that was the point for him was like, it's the fucking people that I told you it was going to be like, yeah. I didn't. I, I, I think I, I, thought thought it was, it. I think I think I thought that's what it was going to be from jump. Yeah. But again, I was like, who knows? And maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe not. But again, the journey was just such a delicious, like ridiculous, yeah. insane romp that it was kind of like, this is fine. And I just wanted to spend, you know, the, the, I, you know, I, I guess if I were to say, you know, my big takeaway from the book is that I just, I didn't care as much about the thriller as I cared about the people. I mean, mm. like, I just wanted to be with them in these small little taut scenes where mm-hmm. it was like just something random was happening or somebody was making a joke or, you know, yeah. it just, and there were all these little reveals. Yeah. You know, that, so and again, many it wasn't like, you know, you knew we were talking about, it's like, we, you know, we're talking about Emma Till. Yeah. From Jump, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's Carolyn Bryant. Right. Though I don't know that everybody knows that name. No, I don't think everybody knows that name, but I think that people do know money. And I think that for somebody who's paid attention to the history yes. and also was aware of the news when she actually recanted. Recanted and then re-recanted. Mm-hmm. Or some, whatever she's or whatever, up to. whatever, something crazy <laughs> Whatever happened. she's up to now. <laughs> but when that happened, I think a lot of people you know, we're paying attention. So yeah. I think there's enough context for people who are coming to the book. Like I'm actually interested in this history, you know, yeah. and I don't know the flap copy, you know, really references Emmett Till. So yeah, it's like, it so if you're not like looped in there, you know, 
we're guiding you that far. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're giving you what you need to know. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the chapters. What did you think of the short chapters? I'm curious, like, what do you what do you think they do or did or served in the book? At the end, the little one. No, just the fact that all the chapters are like. I mean, there's 108 chapters on a 300 page book. He's just making space to move into different psyches, you know? And I also really like the fact that they're short because you have these tight little scenes that really Mm -hmm. just like, but they are all taught. They're all punchy. Right. And they're all telling you something that you need. And so it's a very, you know, sort of, I think that's what makes the book swift to Mm -hmm. read that you're sort of moving into these, like, it's almost like a punchline, a punchline, a punchline. I mean, Percival is a great joke teller. Yeah. On top of being a really exquisite fiction writer. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you know, almost like each chapter is a joke. Yeah. Do you and know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. And it feels like each chapter is like a scene or something in a movie, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like all the jump cuts. It was definitely, usually I we, we talk about like, would this book make a good like movie or TV show? And from the early stages, I was like, this would be such a good movie. It's giving like a Quentin Tarantino vibe, right? Like the extra gory violence, like the jumping around, the comical characters. Like it's just, get, it's like begging to be a movie like it and just like how yeah. much dialogue very there is well, he's very dialogue he's very dialogue but, but just to the point of these things if you look at the end of every single chapter there's like a a joke at the end i mean it's like chapter yeah. 29 where it's just like all manner of you know crazy stuff is going on and the last line is i'll be in later first i'm gonna go talk to an old lady you know and yeah. it's just like yeah. there's just these like you know i won't shoot nobody who don't need shooting yeah you know, big yeah. Bob Burgess is going to kill that little nigger, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, it's just it's like, like every single one, every single one. Okay. Aunt Daisy hold still hot mama yeller. The girl said, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just like, there's, it's just, history as a motherfucker. Hen said, yeah, I, it's just every single one is just this perfect little pearl of a punchline like wrap up, you know, yeah. it's fantastic, but it is Very, so cinematic. It, yeah, it's very sitcom too. Like it's like right before the commercial break, like da 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 da. Bing. Well, he's a master uh, of pacing. It's like this yeah. is. I think the short chapters are about. Again, this book is so sophisticated that it has mm-hmm. no business being this easy to read. Yeah, yeah, and it I, is, yeah. and that's what makes him a master. Yeah, that's- and like the sentences that are like, there's these really rich, delicious sentences, but it's not a hundred word sentence. It's like mm-hmm. five words. Like he he. I mean, I talk about this a lot on the show and just in life when I think about books is like there's something to be said for skilled, seasoned writers. Like I love a debut as much as anyone else when there's like a great debut and it takes you and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. This is a new voice. I can't wait to see what they do next. And then reading versus reading like someone who's written 30 books. Right. right. It's like, oh, my God. No, like, I mean, it's like I think we, we get so excited about the debut. We get so yeah. excited and, and really like, you know, every writer hopefully develops along their career. They learn yeah. something. They they master their own voice. Right. Yeah. And this is what you're reading here is 30 books. Yeah. That's practice. That's, and I think that we have to remember we all love new things. We all love yeah. new trends. We always want to discover things. Except that, you know, there's so much to be gotten from, you know, caring about and supporting and engaging with our masters. Yeah. Yeah. And I and you feel that like I could just feel that I was safe reading this book in the sense of like the right like I wasn't going to get to a part and be like, oh, these sentences have gotten weird like this book. Like I definitely didn't have the thing that I have so often, which is like 
this book could be a hundred page shorter. Like I was yeah. like, no, I need every single page, every single yeah. chapter. Did you happen to notice that there are two missing chapters? There's no chapter 74 and there's no chapter 104. And I truly have no clue what to make of that. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know if I'm supposed to know what that means. I don't know if it's like uh, a nod to some like address or something, but I was like, uh, and, and you know, it's not I'm sure- the sort of Easter egg that I ever get. It's like, I'm, I'm just yeah. not that kind of reader. Like I remember taking a <laughs> class in college that was just like, you know, about close reading and fiction. And mm. it was like, we started and it was Edgar Allan Poe and right, right, blah, right. blah, blah happens. And it was the cask of Amontillado. Right, and then, right. you know, we all read it and we're discussing it. And it was like, the teacher was like, did anybody look up what Amontillado is? And we were 17 and we were like, no, you know, and then it had some right. sort of meaningful plot point. You know, it's just like, and I was just always like, I don't know. I wasn't here yeah. for that. I didn't need to get the inside joke about the Amontillado. I'm with you. I rarely notice these things, but I just, there was a moment in an earlier chapter where I thought I had, I thought he had done it, but I'd actually just skipped the chapter because mm-hmm. it was one page. And then I was like, I wonder if he's going to do it. Um, and so I looked I can't it believe up. I read this twice and absolutely just missed <laughs> that. Like it just well, didn't even occur to me. Yeah. I feel like unless you're really paying attention, like I just like, okay, new chapter. I'm not like thinking like about mm-hmm. the numbers. But then once I found out, I was like, I wonder what this means. And the thing about him that I, you know, I try to prepare and like listen to interviews and stuff, but he's one of those writers who will tell you exactly zero about his work. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, why do you do this? And he's like, why do you think I do this? I'm like, okay, Percival, it's a lot. Just give me an answer or don't do the interview. <laughs> but he's like formally, he's formally playful. I mean, and when you think about yeah. even the, the telephone book that was out, Right. right before this one, which had three different endings. Right, right. You know, and there and was you, like no you, way to know, no way to know which, which one you were getting. So I think that he really does enjoy, you know, yeah, just I mean, fucking I with you a little. <laughs> even being a black man writing in this context about lynchings and about American racialized violence, it's like, I, I think, you know, how many black people do you know who are able to walk through this world without a sense of humor? Right. Even Zero. if we're going through everything that we're going through, right? Right. Yeah. And he no, does. And I think the chapter's missing and the extra endings. And it's like he just he's never lost his sense of play. And that to me is beautiful. Yeah. And I think like you can tell he's pushing. Yeah. He's like, we're going to do this because no one else is doing it. And I just want to just want to give a little nudge and see what that might open, which, mm-hmm. again, is like so enjoyable. But speaking of things that he will not explain, the character names in this I book love are the character names so much. Helvetica is just my favorite Helvetica. of all of them. Helvetica I love Red the Jetty. Font joke, but the font joke. Yeah, the font Helvetica joke. Yes, 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 yes. It was yes. amazing. Because her name's I Helvetica mean, New. Well, she yeah. didn't want to be Helvetica New. Oh, right. If she, had, if she had actually kept taking the name of the man that she'd married that moved right. her down to Mississippi, she would have. She would have been Helvetica been New. And it was a perfect yeah. joke. I mean, are you kidding? <laughs> it was just a perfect joke. And then, oh my God, all of them, they have such wonderful, ridiculous names. I mean, Dr. Reverend Dr. Fondle. Fondle, yeah. I love Red Jetty. I don't know why, but for some reason, Sheriff Red Jetty, it just really works for me. Some of them are like ridiculous. Like there's like the... Um, Herberta. Uh, Herberta, which I love. Um, there's so many, I mean, there's so many like buck wild names in this book. Okay. I mean, even like Mama Red, Mama Yellow... Why <laughs> can't I say it? Uh, Hot Mama Yeller. Uh, Hot love. Mommy, when the cops are in there and they overhear somebody call her Hot Mama Yeller, I died. I yeah, mean, it's, it's just so too much. Good. And then when they get on the, when they're on the radios and they go to their secret channel. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, I got to go clean the freezer. Oh, so good. <laughs> so oh, good. But I feel like the two detectives, like our two lead guys mm. uh, who come in from the MBI, 
they have like super regular regular names. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Because I feel like especially so many, you know, in so many things, it's like the black people are named Jamiroquai, Boniqua, Shanika. And it's like, no, motherfucker, you get to be yeah. Red Jetty and Reverend Fondle. And we get to be like Ed. Ed but Wilson. also they're the normies coming from Jackson to like crazy, crazy sure. money. Right. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, but even it's, people outside of money who are like the white people outside of money have wild names. Like the, the Treasury Secretary yeah. for Trump is like some ridiculous Arkansas yeah. guy. Like, I just love that like small little twist of like you have these two just like normcore dudes with just normcore names just moseying through trying to do their job with all this craziness around them. And I just think it's so They're hilarious. Good. I mean, so they're funny. Just like, what in the world? But I feel like, okay, so here was one of the things that I was really like maybe stuck on or like working through was what what Percival Everett's trying to say about black police officers or police officers or the law in general, right? Because like that's such a huge conversation within the book. We also have Herberta Herbie. And then we have some Asian police officers in California later on. And I mean, like the first thing, of course, is they are sending in all the police officers of color to deal with this, these like crimes. But the victims in the cases are the white people that have been killed, but not the also dead bodies of the <laughs> people of color that are also dead and considerably more dead, I believe, is how it's described. They're even deader or older it's dead. Super or- dead. Super dead. Like there's so many different ways that they're described as being like dead or dead plus. And it's I just there's like something <laughs> there's something so interesting that's like, oh, the victim in this case is the white body, the white bodies. Right. And these other people are potentially the perpetrators, even though they're pre-dead. <laughs> pre-dead. Um, so I don't know. I'm won- I was wondering kind of how you were thinking about the like law enforcement aspect and having well, I think yeah. about it the same way I think about everybody. Nobody's really spared a little ridiculousness. Everybody's sure. kind of made a fool here. And I think that's you know, and who knows? It's not a book that I've spent like editorially, you know, three years sure. with or whatever. Me neither. <laughs> um, and so it's hard to say, but I do think that the equity in the, you know, sort of American send up mm-hmm. in this, it takes some shots at the cops, not yeah. in an obvious way, not in an all cops are bastards way, not in a sort of 2020 defund the police way, but in a sort of like, everybody's sort of feckless, Mm. you know, everybody's sort of feckless and confused and sort of like doesn't know what the hell is going on to some degree. Right. I write it in a little bit of a defund the police 2020 way. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that like they didn't figure it out that it had to like be explained to them what was going on. And like the fact that it kept happening and they were losing the bodies and all that stuff. It was like, it doesn't really matter that they're black. Like, yeah. They're still not doing a great job. They're still fucking up. They're still the police. I mean, there's that line where Mama Z's talking to Herberta and she says like, oh, Herberta says like, oh, I'm sorry. And then she says, oh, is that official from the U.S. government? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I'm a black woman. And she's like, well, now you see my, 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 my issue. And then there's another part where she said, you know, there might be some civil rights violations involved. And mm-hmm. Mama Z says, who's civil rights? And she says, I don't know yet. And then Mama Z says, I ask because you have to have order for them to be violated. Mm-hmm. And I like all of that. So stuff I do, to like, your point, I do think that actually the book has a bent 
Yeah. I don't think the treatment of the police do. Mama Z is your progressive, right? The person who's sure. saying cop killings are, you know, so that book. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that there's not a 2020 defund the police thread running through it. Yeah. But it's not to me, it didn't show up to me in the, the, the sort of the cops as much as it was the people around them. Like they were silly. Like everybody was kind of bad at their job, you know, and sure. everybody was kind of confused. And, and to me, that's sort of like America is such a disaster and there's so much stuff going on that nobody can really figure out what to do. Even it's like mm-hmm. everybody's just so stuck in, in their yeah. stupid perspectives, you know, largely. And then a bunch of people just suffering as a result of it. And, you know, and, and they felt like a part of that matrix, but it, it didn't feel like a specific send up of the cops. It felt like a send up of America. Like, it's like, for me, again, this felt like because it widened, to be the whole right. country it really right. feels like this is like this feels like a super american book like it's just it's right. so broad and so I, I didn't read it in that like sort of yeah. like oh these stupid cops this is why they shouldn't be cops this is why we shouldn't have cops i think mama z's perspective is really what the sort of political core of the book yeah no i agree i mean i definitely think that like mama z and even more specifically for me that damon is like the mm-hmm. moral center of the book right like there's the scene with the paper and the writing, the names and all right. of that. Right. But like, even as you're saying, like as it spreads and it takes over the whole country, like I just keep thinking about how it's happening and it keeps happening. And like that, that is an indictment on, mm-hmm. on the system and that like, it's an indictment on America, but so much of America is obsessed with our law enforcement and punishment and like being such a punitive country that I feel like I almost can't separate yeah. Those two things, I think, in the reading, it's like, sure. I yeah. agree with you, though, that I think overall we're in that. Yeah, I, I feel like actually the cops behavior in in and of itself felt more like I see just showing you how foolish they all are. Yeah. No matter yeah. what, like, whether it's the Mississippi cops or the MBI and everybody's fighting about who's this and who's that and everybody's all intimidated. It just right. to me, it felt like a real articulation of, you know, a, a confusion between everyone right like it's right. just like nobody understands anybody nobody can collaborate like it's just right. like and, and that to me feels like the country we live in right yeah, like for sure there's this division between the city slickers and the but nobody actually has really good intentions so you have the country no. folks and you have the city slickers and nobody really actually has good intentions at all and they're just fighting with each other you know and right. being intimidated of each other and not getting things done you know and and, and I, I think it makes them human sure. in a sort of foolish way Right. Like, it's just like we think these people are gods. Right. They have a gun and we've been told that laws are laws and you're here to enforce laws. And what it does is make a fool out of all of them. Right. But that to me is an indictment of them. Like, that's that's the indictment that I'm reading of them. I I just read it as sort of like he's showing the humanity of everyone. Sure. And Mama Z is the only person who really feels intentionally here to, like, tell you or Damon to tell you that there's a real problem. Right. Right. So yeah. I, I think you're saying the same thing. Similar I think things, I just, yeah. Like, I think overall my take is the same as yours, but yeah, I, think I think the so. actual plot points of the cops feel like they are more specifically there to just remind you of the of human fallacy. Right. It's the show, not tell part yeah, of it. Yeah, they're not, because like they're not evil, us. right? Like, they're not right. all evil. Like, the racists are racist and the feckless are right. feckless, but they're not all one thing. Like, if you wanted to right. say, like, you'd make them do bad things if you right. really wanted to hammer in the point that they shouldn't exist. 
Well, right. And I think them not being like overtly horrible is sort of the point, right? Like you don't have to be a corrupt cop to be part of a fucked up system that's useless and it, feckless right. and Which racist like, and all these it things. It's like a different point, right? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like a marching down the street 2020. It's like, I'm not showing you the humanity of a feckless cop that's like probably not a bad person, but like shouldn't be doing his job in a shitty system. That's a soft point if you're yeah. trying to end the police. Yeah, totally. Okay, wait, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay. We talked, we touched on this earlier about like the history in the book and how, you know, Percival Everett knows all his history. One of the things I did talking about close readings look into was all the different cities where that are mentioned in the book outside of money or all the site of a lynching or mm-hmm. a real life history. So there's like the Rocky, Rocky Rock Spring, Wyoming, Money, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Chicago. There's mm-hmm. one in Elaine, Arkansas, um, which I really love the names there were Carl Winslow. I don't know if that's the guy's real name or not, but uh, there's a Carl and a Laurel Winslow in that scene, which is mm-hmm. Family Matters shout out. Um, <laughs> but I, But I just loved that like 
the locations of the places. And like, I think for me, a lot of the like anti-Asian lynchings and things that are brought up in the book are things that we don't talk about as much in history. And there's this idea that like the recent spat of anti-Asian immigrant, um, anti-Asian and anti-immigrant hatred is new. Mm -hmm. And that it's like a product of COVID that people, because of China flu that Donald Mm -hmm. Trump was saying, that's why people are hurting Asian elders. Mm -hmm. And while I'm sure that that has led to an uptick of that now, you know, Los Angeles was the site of one of the largest lynchings, uh, I think in like the 1870s, right here in Los Angeles on a street called like Negro Lane or something, which is really just, it's just icing on the cake. They killed like 30 Chinese immigrants at that massacre. And so that is the reference point like to being in LA in the book. But I like that he included those lynchings as well um, because it would have been easier and less accurate to just do the murders of black people. I mean, I don't know if that's easy, but like it would have been the obvious choice, I think is a better way of saying it. And like seeing all the names on the list on the cover as well as in the book and like seeing the names of uh, of Chinese people as well. I, I was very, you know, I don't excited. It's not a good word, but I was like, oh yeah, he's really nailing it with the history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think that that's one of the things that this kind of work really does so well, which is you know, it's 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 nobody's like, yes, I need to like deep dive in history, you know, or not everyone is that way, <laughs> and um and and he makes it really fun, yeah. and fun is the wrong word, but he makes it really. Yeah you know, interesting. It's compelling yeah. to actually learn about it. And, and and it gently reminds you that history is now, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like that all of this stuff that happens affects who we are right now, which is that what, you know, if I were to say that this is anything, you know, you were making a point about the cops earlier. Um, but I think that what this does even more than being an indictment of police officers or law enforcement or, you know, lynchings in the country, I think that it really stands back and says, you know, that all of these questions about critical race theory and about 1619, about how we teach history and about what is relevant and what matters, that this actually is our history. And this mm-hmm. actually does have a relationship to our police officers and to mm-hmm. communities that you don't think of and people that you think and you don't know the history. And Mama Z keeps saying this is people need to know they will know, you know, and, and yeah. whether or not you're sort of running around mass murdering people or not, um, people will know. Mm-hmm. That, that all of these things have happened. You cannot do it and pretend like it didn't happen and move on and expect to have a healthy, thriving, happy society. Right. And I think that that for me is the takeaway, which is like our resistance to acknowledging our history will destroy us. Yeah. And I won't just destroy white folks. It'll destroy right. all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And that feels like the real indictment here, which is like American society is not looking, it's not willing to understand its history so that we can move forward and actually stop. A thousand percent. I think that like more than anything, this book is an indictment on, on, I guess, white supremacy and the ways that, that it's fear of being unmasked or, or however you want to phrase it is, is damaging and self it will self it will implode and it will mm-hmm. take down everyone with it. And it's um, and it, but it also the anger. The anger. Yeah. It doesn't look away from the anger that we have. Right. No. It's not a book that says like we are, you know, nonviolent protesters and that like no. all of us are sort of following along with the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr. You know, it's like it's a book about black rage. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and revenge. And, and revenge. Right. Exactly. Which is, which is where we're headed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, we're, we're headed to some kind of, it's like, you cannot, we, the situation that we live in is completely unsupportable over yeah. a long time. And yeah, it has and I, been for 400 years. Yeah. For, for as long as it's been around. Right. I feel like it's making me think of, um, I don't know if, how I know you're I know you're up on things, but I don't know how up you are on Bill Maher. But this week, oh, he God, Bill Maher had crazy, crazy things to say about slavery. And he talked about how, you know, I, I'll link to it in the show notes because I can't do the whole bit. But he did a whole thing about how slavery is for was everywhere and black people. So black people into slavery and everyone has been enslaved and sl- slave comes from Slav, which is for Slavic. And this whole this whole like thing about basically black people get over it everyone's been a slave you're not special and it reminds when i, I heard hate this, bill maher so i hate him so much. much he's such a horrible person and a piece of shit which i have covered often on this podcast because i despise him but i felt like that that line of thinking is like so obviously in conversation with what Percival Everett's doing in this book, which is like, yeah, sure, go off. You're so ahistorical. You're such an idiot. Like, say whatever you want, but guess what? A dead body's coming on your doorstep too, my guy. Like, Wait, you like, can't get away from pop it. Pop off, pop off, do yeah. it. Do it because we can, where, where can we go? Right. There's a record of this stuff. Like, there is a Mama Z of American history, right? Like, she is the She's the personification of an Ida B. Wells Barnett. She's the personification of journalists, of of mothers, of sons, of daughters, of, any of black, black people. In yes, that remembers what happened. That remembers the first time you got called a racist slur the first time yep. some little kid didn't want to go out with you because you were too black the first time right. that you didn't get a job or that something yep. funky happened to you. It's like right. we all have. So there's a big record of all right. the lynchings that have ever happened. And there's a big record of all the crimes that have ever been done. And there's little teeny individual records in every single black and brown and BIPOC household in this nation that's filled right. with grievances. And that yeah. if these grievances are not addressed. You have an overwhelming majority of this nation as of, what, 2040? Um, yeah, something like that. That will have enormous grievances towards a minority in yeah. this country. And it's just not sustainable. No, no. And I mean, like, I don't know if you had this feeling at all, but like when I was reading the book, I kept thinking of Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking of the seven days from Song of Solomon. Mama Z being in conversation with that. I just was like, who else is doing revenge, civil rights murders? <laughs> like okay. only Toni Morrison. <laughs> and I mean, I love that that sort of like, I don't even know if it was on purpose, but I love the hat tip. It felt like a hat tip to yeah. me. I was like, yeah, ooh, yeah. I see. If, you. If, it, if, um, with him, if it is. If it feels like what it might be. Probably is one. Yeah. But he also has a reference to the bottom, which is a which is location mm-hmm. in Sula, you know, and I just I was thinking about like this work being in conversation with our, with our previous writers. I know you talked about that at the beginning. Obviously, like a book like Black No More is a black, you know, is a satire about blackness in America. And like, I think that I think that like Mama Z, Percival Everett is like calling out to the writers who have done this work before him, who have written the novels before him that address these topics or address similar topics in, in a similar way, like something like a more contemporary, like Paul Beatty's the sellout, you know, it's like the same kind of satire thing, different topic, but the same kind of civil rights satire. I don't know if civil rights is the right word, but like, I, I really appreciate that because it feels, it, it feels in line with what his characters are doing. Like what he's doing as an author feels in line with what Mama Z is doing is like calling mm-hmm. out to the voices of the past. And I just, I really, 
I really like that. And you don't spend as many pages of these, you know, of a book like this with names of people, you know, unless unless you really want to make a point. I mean, there's seriousness here. It is funny. And it is this ridiculous sort of rompy kind of thriller, you know, but it is, you know, Percival Serious is a heart attack, you know? And I think that that shows through too. And that speaks to what you're talking about before. Like you can't be black in America and not be funny. Like mm-hmm. and have a sense of humor and tell a joke and like mix. and you can but Lord it's hard yeah then but then you're like I don't know I I don't, I, know, I don't know anybody sense of humor you know what I mean it's like it's I've not... never met a black person who doesn't crack a joke about something yeah and well it's hard to have this much pain <laughs> you know yeah no it's so true um, I want to talk about the list of names and and Damon because mm-hmm. I think. For me, I had a teacher who used to always refer to scenes in acting school as like, who's the moral center of the play or whatever. Mm -hmm. And to me, he just leaps off the page as like this moral center of the book. And there's the line where Mama Z's like, you know, you wrote this whole academic text without emotion. And then he says, I did it in the hopes that it would evoke the right kind of outrage. And I feel like that little section right there feels like the heart of this mm-hmm. book like that that is maybe Percival talking to himself a little well, bit well I would like, say that's the that's the Percival character if if, yeah. if in fact there is a Percival character there's like an academic sort of like you know right 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 and like hoping and and I don't know I don't know I'd love to know what you think of like do you feel that books can evoke the right kind of outrage yeah absolutely I think the books are source material right you know, without Lovecraft and without Lovecraft's terrible behavior and a book written about it that then adapted, that then makes everyone in America know about the Tulsa massacre when you do, right. you know, or Watchmen, right? Like right. These are books that turn into and are adapted. And I think that we have these incredible, I don't know that everyone in America will read a book and they change their mind, but no. I think books tend to sort of speak to an audience of people who know how to repeat the information. Mm-hmm. And so I think very much, they can. I don't think that it is in the same way that everyone watching Game of Thrones creates an atmosphere infused with Game of Thrones. Right. right. I don't think it's the same kind of travel for right. words but on a page. Game of Thrones doesn't evoke. No, it doesn't evoke outrage. anything, but, it, but yeah. it does just saturate the culture. Completely. Sure. I, and it, sure. it's hard for a book to saturate the culture in the way that a Game of Thrones can. But I think that a lot of the books that have like, look at 1619, Right, which mm-hmm. was not a, which was now a book, but first was a special section of the New York Times. But these are words, right? right. And they changed everything, right? Conversationally yeah. in America. I mean, it, it was huge. I mean, like this is a thing that will have changed stuff, right? Politicians, yeah. you're talking about it. They built their campaigns, their nasty little white supremacist campaigns around it. So it's like you know, or the idea of anti-racism. You know, I mean, right. it's just like without Ibram's book. We're not having anti-racism is not a word that we all use. Now, has everybody read how right. to be an anti-racist? No, but it transmits in a way right. that I think is really important. So I do think I do think that it can create enormous amount of outrage. I mean, it's like you look at prison abolition. Not everybody yeah. is reading the Golden Gulag, right? right. But Ruthie right. Wilson Gilmore is the reason. And everybody hasn't read Why Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis. Right. But these books are the reason. They're the original thinking. And yeah. so, yes, those books changed our landscape because without them, our conversations couldn't have been as um, robust and informed yeah. and learned. And so, again, was Golden Gulag a bestseller? No. Does your does everyone's mom have a position on defunding the police or yeah. ending the carceral state? You know, yes. Yeah. And, and that you can track right back down to Ruthie. 
Right. I, I think it's I, it's so interesting because I'm thinking about like the phrase, like the right kind of outrage. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because like the first two books you mentioned, Anti-Racism and um, 1619, they really like provoked a platform for uh, people that I would say are on the right mm-hmm. or conservative just as much as they did sure. for people who are on the progressive side. And it's interesting because with like that line, the right kind of outrage, it really depends on who you think is right. Oh, the thing is the right kind of outrage. If you inspire outrage in oppressed people of America, right. It will anger the people who are oppressing. Yeah. And so you never can have just the right kind of rage and no reaction. It's never going to happen. Right. It's not possible. It's it's just such an interesting word. The minute we we get, you know, woke or whatever, you know, or get outraged, there's an immediate and swift and ferocious response to make sure that that doesn't keep happening. And that's been forever. Yeah, that's forever. And like, we're recording this right now. It's banned book week. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you can track all of the banned book stuff right the fuck back to summer 2020 and, and, and Barack Obama's presidency. And like that, that all of these groups didn't even really start coming up till 2013. Some of it. I will say that I think that the LGBTQ stuff that's getting banned really heavily has always been banned. And always yeah, but been. the organizations behind it, oh, those, those didn't new. pop up until 2013. That's yeah. what I mean. Not, not the parents being like, I'm uncomfortable with gay oh, but things. but the school's or, still doing it. I mean, in the South, the schools, to teach Giovanni's room in most schools in America in high school. Right. Right. Like, but now what it is, is organized. Mm-hmm. And it's like, these are the books we're attacking. These, like, these are the 20 books we're going after heavy, heavy as these organizations. And we're forming these groups and we're showing up at these meetings in this way and using the same script yeah. and all of that. And like, that's the that's the right kind of outrage mm-hmm. that has been evoked from, right. you know, whatever the thing is. I'd argue, though, like in the 50s and 60s, what kind of banning was happening? What kind of banning was happening when Invisible Man came out? When Maya Angelou put out her book, yeah. I Know Why the Cage Bird Sing. I, I don't know the history enough to say that this is new. Oh, no, I'm I not saying know. that it's new. I'm not saying that the book or banning just even is the organization. Because this- it's like, it's just not the clan anymore. Right. You're looking at this like shitty clan meeting right. in this book, like where they just like, they're like, we have an election in a thousand yeah. years. Let's have an election. And yeah. they're just like, they elect the same guy. And it's the dumbest thing that ever happened. Yeah. But it's it's a new order of organization that's taking yeah, place. Yeah, that's what I mean. New org- I mean, new organizations as in mm-hmm. these organizations that are doing it right now are new. Yeah. At, the organizations themselves are new. Not right. that the organizing around doing horrible things is new, but like that these yes. groups popped up in 2013, 2018, 2020. Yeah. Like, they have a new round. These, yes, a new group, a new right. crop a new of organizations. It feels organizations. Like, to me like the culture wars look when I grew up, you know, an NWA was out. And yeah. the only thing in the news was about Tipper Gore and putting mm-hmm. restrictions on things and everybody being so the music. So, I mean, so it, I not, I'm not being argumentative, but it's like, but just from where I sat in 1981 as an 11 year old watching what was happening or 15 mm-hmm. year old, they were organized and they were about hip hop. And that's what the cultural yeah. were then. You know what I mean? It was about, it was about hip hop and it was about, right. and it's a response to, mm-hmm this like drug culture and this prison culture that people were starting to push back against. And the popularity, the growing popularity of hip hop culture, which was starting to export to white communities. And you had an enormous lashback. Yeah. So I just, I think that whenever there's like, there's always some group ready to just oppress us. Yeah. Whoever it is. And, and to do it in an organized way. Mm -hmm. I think that they want us to believe that it's like a mom or it's just Tipper Gore. No, like it's always been organizations. It's always been organizations. It's always organizations. And I feel like it could be whatever moms for whatever 
or Moms for Liberty Now, which is the thing. Yeah. There was something in the 90s. I'm sure there was a lot going on in the 60s with the hippies where everybody was so scared that their kids were going to get oh, infected yeah. by, by free love and, you know, yeah. acid. And it's just, it's like, it never ends. But I think that we're yeah. at a point where no one is interested in doing this any longer. I mean, it's like, it feels like the nation is like on the cusp of civil war. Do you know what I mean? An emotional civil war. Do you ever, I, this is a thing I always think about though. It's like the like current, currency bias like the recency bias of like what it feels like now living in it versus what it would have felt like living like I just always have felt maybe it's my anxiety but I've just always felt like we're on the edge of something like it's all and then it's like somehow gets worse and pushes somehow farther and like maybe because you can't tell when a thing is done or or you're in the midst or the beginning or the end but like I always feel I've felt like for the last 10 or 15 years, like something terrible is coming like this way comes and like it's been coming. But I just feel like I'm like if I was living in 1860 or like 1859, would I have known the Civil War was coming like or would I've just been like, yeah, things get bad. Like, I don't I want you to tell me the future is what I'm asking. <laughs> Seriously, right? Like I, I would kill for a crystal ball at this point. Seriously. OK, one of the things we have to talk about, we always talk about this is the title and the cover. What do you think of the title? What do you think of the cover? Talk to me. You know, I like it. I think it's a beautiful cover. I think Grey Wolf has always done gorgeous stuff. I think The Trees is a great title. I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than it felt like something I wanted to have on my shelf. Yeah. I I was really taken by a few a few parts of it. I mean, I think The Trees is like such a vague kind of name and like the word trees comes up in the book a, bu- a bunch of different times mm-hmm. in different ways mm-hmm. but like when you look at the cover then the columns of the names like they could be tree trunks yeah. they like it reminds me of like the lynching monument um in in alabama that brian uh stevenson you know was spearheaded and like also like it looks like the vietnam war memorial mm-hmm. and like they're so it's like so evocative of like an official i love when people pay attention to this stuff because you know at work i'm always working yeah. on book covers yeah. and, you know largely there's some concept that like that may gesture to somebody but you can't always like literally be like mm-hmm. you are looking at an architect you know an architectural yeah. rendering of a memorial that's written in the word trees which is about lynching and people yeah. hanging from trees. it's like so I think maybe yeah. I'm just jaded when I'm sort of like, I like the cover quite a lot, <laughs> you know, like I like the title quite a lot, you know, like, yeah, because yeah, the package, I'm often reading it before the package is done. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So you're not, you don't get to see. So I think I just react a little less to covers unless something yeah. just blows well, me away just aesthetically, like just happens. That's to how I feel. Mind. If I love a cover, I like, and this one, I think this book really, cause I didn't, when I saw it online for the first time, I didn't see, I couldn't see the names. So when I actually got my copy, I was like, Oh, there's names there. Like that's a thing. Um, and also like, I, I guess we should talk about the rise. I don't know if you remember, but like the book starts after the title, there's the page and it just says rise. Mm-hmm. And then the book ends with mama Z saying like rise over and over mm-hmm. and like asking the police if they're going to stop Damon from writing the names. Mm-hmm. And he's, she's like, are you going to stop them? And then it's like rise, rise. And there's like a storm and rise, rise. I I feel like it's giving reap what you sow vibes. Yeah. It's giving, no, I mean, the, it's is, giving blood is, in the this soil. Is absolutely. A reap what you sow book. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, there's a lot of blood it's, and it's going to rise right keep out. Keep on acting crazy. Yeah. What do you think happens in the end? Do you think that our our black police officers arrest 
Mama Z and Damon and and Gretchen Gertrude. I never know when things like end in that way. I never know, and I almost don't want to. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, I always you don't fantasize about like this is what's gonna happen. Don't I don't interesting. I I I know that sounds crazy, but it's like I feel like I've spoken to so many authors after I've read a book and been like, did this happen? And they're like, or you weren't supposed to know, like right. And so I just sort of like, I think I just like to be in the tight little moment. Right. Okay. That's fair. I always like to be like, this is what I think happened. Yeah. Um, I think they don't arrest them. And then I think that then they become like complicit in the whole thing. Really? Okay. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the thing too. I never really know. I mean, and that maybe yeah. just makes yeah, me like a not. less sophisticated reader. I don't know. But it's like, but yeah, that of would course, be, uh, yeah. I like that ending. I like uh, you that know, I story. Always like, I always I like, like to cause a little chaos. I, would, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that if that's the, the that's the sort of in the you know sort of imaginary you know wilderness that the carrying on the story right. continues forever. Right. I wouldn't mind. I, I, yeah, I. Like I mean, she's going. definitely not presented as somebody who's like locked up and lives this terrible life, paying for all of her sins. I think she wanted to be caught. Personally. Yeah, but she's. But it doesn't seem like you know the whole thing doesn't play out like oh well, damn, she's fucked. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. She, I mean, she's taking a cyanide pill or something. Like she's, I don't, even if they do arrest her, she's not going to jail. Let me put it that way. I do not feel at any point in this book that Mama Z ends up incarcerated. She is doing a spell. She is killing herself. She is killing someone else. Mama Z is dying at home in her bed on her own terms, for sure. Yeah, I think no doubt. For sure. And I think that Percival would let her. Yes, a thousand percent. And I do like that it just stops and there isn't an answer. But yeah. the way that my brain is, is I'm like, I have to know. I have to create I have to create a resolution of some sorts or like five resolutions. Yeah, like sure. there's so many books it that I read where I'm like, exercise. Well, before we get out of here, is there anything else in the book that like sticks out to you that you wanted to touch on? I mean, I think for me, it's the humor. Like for me, it's yeah. just like, I mean, there are just so many sweatshirts. Like just the humor of it is the thing always with Percival that I love the most, you know, no matter how political, no matter how fantastic. um, It's just the fact that it makes you laugh and it's just like some relief in this politicized, difficult world to be thinking about things that matter, but also laughing is a real gift and treat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was interesting. A lot of people didn't know that this book was satire or funny. And I got so many messages that are like, I'm laughing really hard. I feel bad. And I'm like, it's a funny book. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh. So if you were one of those people who was feeling bad about yourself for laughing, no, that's the point. The jokes are there. Like, don't hold back. Lynching can be funny for all of us. <laughs> like, that's what Percival is saying is it's so fucked. We might as well laugh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Lisa, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this book with us. Thank you for having me. It's been such a total treat. And I just like, you know, this one is a good one. This is a great book. So good. And we should say before we go, your first acquisition is out when this is airing yesterday. Mm-hmm. So Laura Worrell's book, Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm. So go get it. Show Lisa and Laura some love. Uh, we talked about buying books last time. So go buy some books, request it at your library, do your thing. Um, Lisa, thank you so much. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Lisa Lucas for being our guest. I'd also like to thank Josie Cowles for making this interview possible. And now for what you've all been waiting for, our October book club announcement, we're going to be reading Ferris by Meredith Talusan. 
Fairest is a memoir about a precocious boy with albinism from a rural Philippine village who would grow up to become a woman in America. The book is an examination of race, immigration, and trans identity. Make sure to listen next week to find out who our guest will be for that October 26th discussion. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, the This episode of the stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>